0: 2 Corinthians 12, we read at verse 1, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Would you pray with me? Father, we come now and we ask for your word to go forth. We ask that by the power of your spirit, your words would settle in our hearts in a powerful way, so powerful that they affect our lives, every aspect of our lives, and even affect the lives of those around us. May your words do this as you have promised them to do, that they would go forth and not return void, but would accomplish all of your will in our hearts and in our minds this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, a few years ago, several years ago now, uh, we lived in Colorado Springs and and uh, we had an unusual situation. Uh, there was a fire that started nearby our house, a few miles in the hills behind our house, in the mountains behind our house, and... And uh, I was, it was on a Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, and and I was sitting in our house and and studying for Sunday morning as I was a pastor of Reverence Bible Church in Colorado Springs at the time. And, and, uh, and as I was, as I was studying, the, the smoke had come up and, and kind of gone in front of the sun and, and made our living room all kind of an orange hue. And I look out there and, and uh, there's that smoke going up and, 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 as I was watching that happen, I wondered, man, that, that might be kind of close. So I, I called Dan, Pastor Dan Gammy, and, and who lived not too far away from us, and, and we started a conversation, and he said, oh yeah, no, I, I saw it a while ago, and, and so I got on my motorcycle, and I drove back into the hills, and, and it's, you know, it's a ways, it's a ways from us, you know, we're, we're safe over here, and, and uh uh, nothing really to worry about and and my wife was across town and and she called me up and she's like do you see that smoke it looks right by our house i'm like yeah just just talk to dan about it it's no big deal and and she was really nervous so she came back home and uh came home with the kids and and we're talking on the phone and she's like well maybe we'll get Maybe we'll get evacuated. You know, it looks really close. And I'm like, no, Dan already looked at it. It's miles away. You don't have anything to worry about. We're not going to get it. There's no way we're going to get evacuated. That's just not going to happen. Like, you know, Dan and I, we're from Southern California. We know something about fires. You know, we have fires every few years here, coming right up to houses, and and people don't get evacuated. It's not going to be any. Nothing's going to happen with that. And. And so she gets home, and, and right as she gets home, we have fire trucks rolling down our street, announcing "You need to get out of the house, you need to evacuate and i 'm like, "Oh great uh, this is, this is awesome. I just told her that there 's no way we 're getting evacuated, and, and now we have to get evacuated and and they rush into the house, and we 're starting to pack up things, and the news is on telling us what we should pack and, and so our kids are watching all this happen and they're, you know, they're nervous. Now we've got to evacuate. And, and I'm like, you don't have to worry about it. Nothing's going to happen. Pastor Dan already looked back there. We're from Southern California. We know about fires. It's a long ways away from us. Don't worry. We're just being evacuated as a precaution. It's no big deal. And so our kids start saying, well but what if the fire comes over the hill? We lived right up against a, a, a hill right behind us and the fire was a couple ridges over from that. What if the fire comes over the hill and, and it burns our down our house? And what if all these things happen? And I'm like, there's no way that's gonna happen. And in my arrogance, I should have learned from just a few minutes earlier when I said, there's no way we're gonna get evacuated. I say, there is no way, no way that fire is coming over the hill. No chance whatsoever. Don't worry about it. So then three days later, we're evacuated. We're sitting in a hotel and watching the news as they do their daily press conferences. Oh, and then on top of that, which our kids right now are thinking, don't leave out the other part, where I promised them, I guaranteed them, there's no way it's coming over. And if that fire comes over the hill, I will give you (laughs) $1,000. Yes. You already know where this story is going. Even if you don't know much about me or our history, uh, you know where this is going at this point. So I said, I, I will give you a thousand dollars if that fire comes over the hill. Don't worry about it. I'm trying to be a loving father and calm everybody down, you know. They don't see it that way. Uh, so we're sitting there and we're watching, watching this press conference like we've been watching for days. And as the I think it was the sheriff who was sitting there being interviewed is giving a breakdown of the situation at the time and he's saying similar things like things are okay I know there's a lot more smoke today and there's more wind today but you know it's everything is okay and one of the reporters says huh what are you going to do about that and he turns around and then the camera pans in and our back hill Is completely engulfed in flames as 75 mile an hour wind just came out of nowhere and blew the fire over a ridge like a like a ramp. It shot it up one side of a mountain and it came down on our side of the mountain and it was just racing down the side of the hill. And uh, uh, it was it was it was a sad event. I mean, 348 homes burned down over. That, that, in that day, that night, 348 homes burned down, um, including several of our friends and the house directly across the street from us. Uh, the fire itself even got within about 9 or 10 feet of our house. It burned down our back fence, and the uh, firefighters with our own hose saved our house, along with uh, our neighbors on each side of us. But the point of that is, um, even this week, I think this came up, or maybe it was last week. And uh, our kids continue to remind me, remember the time you guaranteed that the fire was not going to come over the hill, and you promised us that you would give us $1,000 if it did. It's a humbling thing to live with five young women, including my wife, who never forget anything ever for any reason. And they're certainly not going to forget how I promised them that the fire was never going to come and that they were, I would give them $1,000. They just keep reminding me of this about maybe once a month, just, just if I feel t- about too much about myself, if I, I, I look like I have two th- things too much under control. Remember the time. Remember the time. You don't know so much, Daddy you don't know everything. You don't know about fires, that's for sure. (laughs) And it's not fun being humbled. It's, It's not a pleasant experience being humbled over and over again and reminded of your own weaknesses and how little control you have over the life around you. It's, it's an uncomfortable experience and, and nobody enjoys it. I guarantee you it can make a line of people who would come up here and share stories of how they were humbled once in their life and, and they keep reliving that in their minds over and over again. And, and we do all kinds of things to try to hide the fact that we're being humbled on a regular basis. We, we reinvent history. We tell stories in, in different ways to make them sound different. I tell my kids this all the time. Did I really promise that I would give you $1,000? I want to change history. I want things to be different than what they actually were because I, I hate those reminders. It reminds me of my frailty and my weaknesses. We all hate it. That's why dis- we disguise it so much and so often. It here, as we just read in 2 Corinthians 12, you don't see the Apostle Paul going in that direction. He does something radically different. He He doesn't hide his weaknesses. In fact, if I read through chapter 11 into chapter 12, all you hear him doing is over and over again, boasting in his own weaknesses, how he has been humbled by the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. It was always on the forefront, seemingly always on the forefront of his mind. He spent the first part of his life as, as a Pharisee seeking to persecute the church, seeking to stomp out the name of Jesus Christ. And now he walks a life that's radically different of that, yet he remembers it all the time. He's filled with humility and he makes that humility the grounds for his boasting in Christ. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. You see, Paul, as we're in here in 2 Corinthians 12, he's already responded to two accusations from false teachers who have entered into the church. He calls them the super apostles who have entered into the church. And, and after he has left the church and they've come in and they're, and they're trying to undermine his ministry. As he's gone away, he's written letters back to the church saying, you need to stop moving in the direction of of this sin that you're flirting with and and you need to get away from it. If you don't, I'm going to come and I'm going to have to come and exercise power and authority in the name of Christ. Don't make me come in that way. I've already done it once. I don't want to do it again. Heed what I'm saying to you. And These false teachers are coming in saying, Paul is no great man. Where is his authority? He's not like us. Look at our lineage. Look at our background, who we are. We are are Jews. We we have studied. We have learned. We know what we're talking about. And on top of that, look at how successful we are. Look at our our clothes. Uh, Look at the fees we can demand for our speaking. Uh, Paul, look at his life. It's marked by disaster. Everywhere he goes, he just seems to get beaten and, and punished. All the shipwrecks and all the horrible things. Why would you follow such a loser? And on top of that, they would say, look at our spiritual experiences. We have had experiences that, that Paul, you know, he doesn't talk about any. He talks about this meeting Jesus on the, on the road to Damascus, but you know, we've had all of these amazing, supernatural experiences. Why would you listen to him? So Paul is, is interacting with these accusations from these super apostles, and he's already handled a couple. In chapter 11, he, he talked about his lineage, and, and I love it when he does it. He says, am I a Jew? And am I, am I a Hebrew? Yes, I am. But am I a servant of Christ? Unlike those who you are giving ear to, I am. You can tell by my life. I walk humbly among you the way that Christ walked humbly on this earth. Is my life marked by pain and suffering? Yes, it is. Because I walk in the framework, in the model that Christ laid out for me. In fact, I am suffering pain to share the gospel with you. I'm laying down my life every day for you. Why are you giving ear to these false teachers? They don't love you. They're there to take advantage of you. And he calls each one of these things his boastings. And he's he's struggling with it because he's saying, am I a Hebrew?" Am I an apostle? I am these things. I shouldn't have to defend myself, but you make me defend myself. And he goes on when he gets into verse 1 and he says it again. He says, It is doubtless, or it is without doubt, that it is not profitable for me to boast, for me to continue on boasting. He says, But I will. I will come. I will, I will once again, I will talk to, uh, talk to you about visions and revelations of the Lord. These, these accusations are coming at me, and, and so now you've forced my hand. I will continue to boast. I will continue to talk because there's more danger in me remaining silent than me speaking and drawing you back to who Jesus is. And this is important for us to remember. Sometimes we are uncomfortable with stepping outside of of what a normal conversation would look like. And and, and it is a good thing to wrestle with because we are supposed to present the gospel with gentleness and respect. And we should never step ahead of Christ leading in our lives. But it is important to remember, sometimes it it is critical for us not to remain silent. It is critical for us not to just say, well, I will preach the gospel only with my life, which is important and critical to do, as we're going to see here in a second. But we must all speak it. We must also share it with our words as well, like Paul is doing here. He says, I will not remain silent. I will continue on. So I will address this final accusation from these super apostles about these ecstatic spiritual experiences. But most importantly, where Paul is going, he's going to his greatest and final boast, where he's been going all throughout this section of 2 Corinthians 10 through 13. He's going in the direction of wanting them to see the supremacy of Jesus Christ and his gospel. And by doing that, he can undercut all of the arguments of these false teachers by the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. So he starts off here, and with Paul's boasting, he does it in a very clunky way. I've already read it to you. It's, it's funny sounding how he does it, and, and that's for good reason. He's uncomfortable with what he's sharing. So as he's writing, he's He's saying these things, I know a man, he talks about himself in the third person, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up in the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise. Paul talks only very briefly about what we call the silent years of Paul. After his conversion, he was in Damascus, and then he was in different areas, maybe in Syria. And and for a decade, he spent time just being probably taught by Jesus Christ as as Christ was showing him supernaturally and, and through other people that he brought into his life how all of Scripture was pointing to him and what the gospel was and he was growing in understanding and in wisdom during that time. But there's also something else that happened during that time. This amazing revelation was given to Paul. And and these words are talked about and lots of questions are asked about them. Uh, You you look at this and, and very little is known about this revelation, but we know it's huge. We know it's enormous in some way. He's... He's caught up into the third heaven. He says, was it it in the body or not in the body? Was it something that just happened spiritually? Or was my physical body caught up into this place? I don't know. If you want to know the answer to that question, don't ask anymore. Paul didn't know. We don't know either. We we don't know what happened to him exactly, but we know something radical happened, that he was caught up into the third heaven. When he says third heaven, what he's talking about, at the time, this is how, and really this is how we talk about, the world around us, the atmosphere around us, he, he talks about how the, 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 the way they understood the heaven around them is you have the first heaven, which would be the atmosphere around the earth. okay, With Just the air that we ble- breathe, where the birds fly, all of that stuff. The second heaven would be outside of that, where the stars reside, you know, where the moon is, outer space. That would be the second heaven. The third heaven that he talks about is something very specific. As I said, he says, I was caught up into the third heaven. And then as a second time, as he reiterates it, he clarifies and he says, I was caught up into paradise itself. Without going into very much detail, the way a Jew would understand this is, when they would read it, this is into the garden of God, where God himself resides. So when Paul is saying, he says, what Paul is saying is, you want to talk about ecstatic spiritual experiences. 14 years ago, God grabbed hold of me and he set me in heaven in the presence of Jesus Christ himself. That was my experience. And he goes on and he says, I heard things that were inexpressible, which is not lawful for man to utter inexpressible things. I believe what he is saying there is is that the things that he witnessed in that time were so outside of our reality. He's saying, how could I even explain it to you? there's, There's no words that I could conjure up that this language holds for us that would help you understand what it is that I witnessed. I liken it to me trying to explain the internet to my six-year-old. I can't do it. I don't understand it myself. So how can I explain it to him? I know how it works. I, you know, I can show him how to find Netflix and watch a kid's show. But if he ever ask me, well, but daddy, how does that work? Um, well, there's... It's stuff and the air and it flows. And we have this box in our house and that connects to Why? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's knowledge that's inexpressible to me. This is what Paul is saying. The revelation was so mind-blowing. There's no words that can express what I saw. He says, the, the way it's translated here in the New King James is that it's, it's not lawful for a man to utter. I, I think maybe a better way of understanding that is there's no way to, to speak of it. Not that it's against God's law in some way. There's, just, there's no way to really speak of what it is that I saw. And that's not really the point anyway. I think maybe a reason Paul didn't talk about this One of the reasons that he didn't talk about it, one, how could he define what he saw in words that would make sense? And two, I think maybe the experience that he had was only for benefit for himself. That's why he never talked about it. He he talked about other experiences he had. I brought it up early. He talked about seeing Christ on the road to Damascus and being blinded. He talked about that wherever he went. Why? Because it benefited others. It was a door to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. This experience, it was just for him, possibly. So he never talked about it. And, and who more would need it than Paul himself? Think about what his life looked like. He spent, he spent years, perse- spent all this time persecuting the church, putting people in jail, putting people to death. And now Christ has grabbed hold of his heart and now he's, he's going to be the biggest proponent of the gospel in the Gentile world and, and he's going to be beaten wherever he goes. Think about the discouragement that he would endure from his, inside of his own heart, knowing his own background and then outside in his life everywhere he goes, he just gets beaten over and over and over again and, and maybe God just picked him up. A handful of years before he would go out and do this ministry and said, let me encourage you. Let me, let me show you something that will give you the strength to continue on. Remember who I am and what I am doing. I am the resurrected Christ. And in the end, I win. And you're on my side. There's a level of encouragement, I think, that came with this revelation that God has given Paul. I would struggle with this. Uh, probably you guys would too. <laughs> I remember hearing Kent Hughes when he was talking about this text and he said, If it was me, I'd have a hard time stay keeping my mouth shut. I would be out there and, and you know, this word caught up is the word rapture being caught up and I would have like rapture one oh one classes. This was my experience. Uh, you know, you should listen to me because I had this amazing experience. I saw the resurrected Christ face to face. I don't know if it was in the body or not in the body, but you should hear about this because what I saw will change your life. Look at how awesome my life is. This is, this is, this is how we might naturally react to these things. But Paul, he had no struggle stepping away from exalting in this amazing experience because his experience His glory was not his goal. That's why he kept his mouth shut. He was after the glory of Jesus Christ and him alone. I think this is why he talks about himself in the third person here. And as we get into verse 5, he switches back to the first person. He says, Of such a one I will boast... Yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will, not, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. Because what I'm saying is the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. I love verses 9 and 10, and I know you guys do as well. But verse 6 comes in a close second in this section of Scripture for me. It's so profound, and it really cuts to the heart of what both Christian maturity and humility really is. It's easy to see from verse 6 that Paul's only desire continues to be that others would hear and see Jesus Christ in him. He has had multiple radical supernatural experiences. But he says, I want you to only know what you see in me and what comes from my life. And that is Jesus Christ. I don't want the focus to be on me. I want the focus to be on him and on him alone. There are key takeaways from this mindset for us here. First is that amazing spiritual experiences are useless if Jesus Christ isn't both seen and heard in people's lives. If Christ isn't exalted in a person's life, radical spiritual experiences are nothing. They're meaningless. They're useless. If they just point us to humanity, what's the point in having them? They must be about Christ. People must see Christ in our lives and coming out of our mouths to have our spiritual experiences with him mean anything. Anything. Because if they don't see him in our lives and in our words, where do the experiences point them? Point them to ourselves. We're just giving the world a reflection of ourselves if we don't point them to him with our very lives. And with that, how important is it to note that the underlying statement here by Paul is that the authority of the church of its leaders, of those in the church, should never be based on any type of ecstatic spiritual experience. It shouldn't be based primarily on radical spiritual experiences. Because they can lie, but Jesus Christ never does. This is what the false teachers were doing let me tell you about everything that I've experienced in Christ. Oh, it's been this and that, and I've done this, and I've seen that, and aren't I amazing? You should listen to me. You should heed my voice. We should not base the authority of God's Word spoken through us through our experience. It should be based first and foremost on Jesus Christ and in his gospel message alone. This makes humility a key. It makes humility key for Paul to say things like, What I want you to know is what's in me and what's coming out of my mouth. I want you to know Christ. Look closely into me and you will see him. Listen closely to my voice. You will see him. Stop looking at me. Look at him. It reminds me of John the Baptist when when his disciples came to him and and they were like, look, all the people are following that Jesus guy. What are you going to do about it? And John was like, this has never been about me. It's always been about Him. Follow Him. He's the one that I've been telling you about. My life is about Him. The humility, the humbleness of my life is about Him. Follow Him. May we have that same heart. May we follow that same model as Paul and John the Baptist. May our lives point to him. As we go on, Paul, unlike these super apostles who are intruding the church, he does not use his experience for his own gain. No, Paul. As we go on, he, he doubles down. He doubled down on, on his own humility, on his own weaknesses. In verse 7 he says, and "Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations that he's experienced, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing I pleaded with the Lord 3 times that it might depart from me." He says, so that I would remain humble because of these amazing revelations that were given to me. A thorn was put into my flesh. A messenger of Satan was given to me to keep me humble. And of course, just like earlier with the third heaven and in the body or out of the body, the question comes, well, well, what's the thorn? So what what was that thorn? We want to know. We want to know details. You know, It's like a movie to us. Give me the details. I want to see what the thing was. And and of course, there's all types of ideas as to what it was. Was it a a physical malady? Was it something that he had dealt with his entire life? A vision or or a speech problem or something like that? I don't think it was because this seems to really clearly to have come after his revelation that was given to him. Was it... Was it people that were brought into his, house, into his life to, to you know, knock his ministry and, and to discourage him from continuing to preach the gospel, maybe? Uh, was it the many beatings that he endured that I talked about earlier, possibly? God, through in His Holy Spirit, decided not to share that with us, and I think that's for, I think that's for good reason. I think it's because, so that each one of us, we can read these words and, and think about in our life as we pursue Christ in all things and we face struggles with them, we can identify with Paul in this. We can identify with unchosen difficulties in life because that's what this was. Paul did not choose this for himself. It's clear he wanted to get rid of whatever the issue was. He wanted to do away with it as fast as possible. He didn't choose it for himself. God chose it for him. And it's an important thing to note here. This is a messenger of Satan. But who is ultimately in control of what Paul is enduring? It's God. It's God. It's Satan's attack, but God's sovereignty reigns over it. And Paul was not choosing it. And God used it to keep Paul humble so that God's power might continue to be at work through Paul. Critical thing to remember as we struggle and and have strife and infirmities and persecutions, as we seek to glorify Christ in all that we do to remember when trouble comes And it's not by our own doing to remember this may be a messenger of Satan, but it's God who's in control and he's using it for a good reason. I don't want to skip past verse 8 though. Because verse 7 is the tantalizing stuff. But this morning... I want to look at verse 8 one more time and not skip past it quickly because listen to what Paul is saying here. Just in case you too quickly think this was a difficult thing that Paul endured and I endure difficult things also. No big deal. Listen to what Paul says. He says, Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. I pleaded with the Lord three times. He says... These words that Paul is talking about, the struggle that he endured the years, are not mere platitudes. These aren't just simple things that he's saying. This was something that he was deeply experiencing. This was something that was, that was affecting him down to his very core. There had been many things that Paul had prayed for in his life, but this was something uniquely painful. And Paul was truly humbled by his weakness. Truly humbled by his weakness. And it's it's easier to really appreciate what he's saying when we have also gone through truly humbling experiences ourselves. To get to the place where Paul is at, be like, this is... This is so painful, God, I cannot endure it for another second. In fact, it was interesting to me as I was studying through this section and thinking back of, of everything that we go through in our family with Carrie being sick, and, and I was thinking back to over the last four years of, of watching her go through what she's gone through and, and daily pain, and I could only remember two times where I truly pleaded with God for this to end. There's many times, in fact, I don't know if there's a day that I don't go by where, I, where I'm praying, God, please give her relief, please give her relief, but where my heart was broken and I just was on my knees before God just pleading, pleading with him to make it stop. I can only remember two times when it happened, but here Paul, three times he says, I pleaded with God. I pleaded with him. I was drawn to a point of utter weakness and humility before him that I pleaded with him because there was nothing else I could do about it. This is the place where God wanted him. And and it should also remind us, and, and don't be upset if anybody has said these words before, but I do want to make a point of it. Oftentimes we try to encourage other people by saying God never gives us anything more than we can handle I don't think that's true. It's not biblical. It's not my experience. God, in fact, I think wants us to walk at a pace that says, I can't handle this. I am in desperate need of you every moment of every day because I can't do this on my own. He wants us to walk in a place of humility. He wants us to, like Paul, realize that this supernatural experience that he enjoyed was ordained by God, but also the pain was ordained by God. And when when God responds, when Jesus responds to his pleading of make this end, and he responds with no, no, I'm not going to make it end. It's going to continue on. It's a loving no. No. It's a compassionate no, because Christ sees the beginning from the end. He knew what he was after in Paul's life, and he knows what he's after in your life as well. So when he says no to our pleading, let's remember, it's always for our good. It's for a good reason that we are humbled and we remember day by day, God, I need you right now and I never stop needing you. Let me also remind you very quickly that it wasn't just Paul who pleaded with God the Father three times as he walked through a painful experience. Who else did? Yeah, Christ himself in the garden three times pleaded with God. Three times. We do not have a Savior who is far from us, in our experiences, in our lives. He knows what He needs. He provides what we need. And the provision is humility. And it's for a good reason. As we're going to go on in verse 9, this is really the crux of the entire section. Jesus is going to respond and He says, And He said to me, Jesus said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. This is the apex. This is the mountaintop of this section. It is the place that we run to over and over again when we don't understand life's difficulties. My grace is sufficient for you. He goes on. Paul gives us the point of why he is enduring what he is enduring as he humbly walks with Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in the infirmities and reproaches and needs in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We struggle with the difficulties of life but in them these words of Christ they speak volumes to our hearts Christ is saying i am always for you and my grace is sufficient for you he god says I'm allowing you to enter into this, to go down this path, even though you're not choosing it, even though there's no way for you to turn away from it, because I've ordained it to be that way. Because I want you to walk by faith so that you will experience my all-sufficient grace that will sustain you in your weakest moments, that will cause you to lean upon me in ways that you never would apart from. For me bringing you these distresses and this pain in your life. Paul got that. He embraced it. He leaned into the pain because, as he did, he found something supernatural, supernatural strength. Again, in verse 9, he says, Therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When the word you see the word rest, that word is taken from the idea of tabernacled. The tabernacle is a tent. He says so that the power of Christ might be laid upon me like a tent so that Christ would pitch his tent with me as I struggle through this humbling experience of weakness. Just like I said a few seconds ago, Christ three times in the garden, now Paul is saying, I gladly boast in the infirmities because Christ is so close to me as I struggle in my pursuit of bringing him glory. I experience him in ways that I could never imagine. And we know that to be true. Even if you've only experienced minor, and I don't know if anybody in this room has ever experienced or has only experienced minor difficulties in life. But even in the minor difficulties in life, God's word over and over again is reminding us when you struggle, I'm right there. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. I'm right there in your midst. I pitch my tent with you. And I pitch it in power in your weakness. This is my plan. This is my design. We see this all throughout Scripture. And in His strength, we find the ability to conquer our struggles, not in the way that you might think, not in the way of, this isn't promising strength in a way that says, okay, God, you've allowed these horrible things to me to happen, and these these people at work are coming against me, and and now that I've endured this for a month or a year or five years, you know, someday you're going to let me rise up, and I'm going to destroy them all, and everything's going to work out perfectly for me in the way that I see it fit. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying your situation may not change at all. And if it doesn't, that's by my design. As you go through it, though, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be right there with you. We love Romans 8. But listen to the words once again. In verse 35, if you just listen with me. Paul writes, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that all of my enemies will be destroyed in the way that I want them to be destroyed. No. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. The conquering comes through Christ pitching his tent with us regardless of what the circumstances are regardless of what tomorrow looks like, he says, I will walk with you. And that's where strength is found. That's where strength is found. When you are humbled to the point where you say, God, I cannot take another step, and Christ says, okay, let me pick you up and give you the strength. I'll give you my strength, because I'm close to you in this moment. Maybe this morning you have arrived here consumed with looking for the quickest way out of the pains and struggles that are besetting you. I want to ask you this morning, that just now in this moment, would you let would you let me encourage you to lay those efforts down and humbly rest in the love and the presence and the supernatural strength of Jesus Christ? Just rest in Him. Stop so eagerly looking to just get to the other end of the struggle and just rest in him in the midst of the struggle because he promises you something amazing, strength that is not your own, supernatural strength as he draws close to you in the midst of the pain. And let me remind you, this is what the world is looking for. They don't need another person who's going to tell them, pick your, up, so, your own self up by your bootstraps. You can do it. You're the man. Get it done. They don't need somebody else talking to them that way because they know in the midst of their darkest and deepest pain, that doesn't work. They want something more. They want something supernatural. They want something divine. So rest in him. Rest in him for yourself, but rest in him for your spouse, for your kids, for your coworkers, for me, for the other people in this church who are looking for something different than what this world offers. We're looking for Christ in you, our hope of glory. A strength that goes so far beyond us that we can't even imagine or think of what it might provide. Rest in him. Rest in him for yourself and rest in him for others. May we now collectively pray that God would do a work in us, that he would humble us, even though it is uncomfortable, and that he would draw us to himself for our good and for his glory. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your presence for your ever-present help in our time of need. We thank you for your grace that is more than enough for us. And we ask, Lord, would you help us now to rest in you? Would you provide all that we need to endure every trial that you bring into our lives. And would you help us by drawing us closer to yourself? You are all that we need. We confess it, Lord, with our mouths and may we confess it with our lives. Your grace is enough. Bring glory to yourself as you strengthen us and walk closely with us day by day. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.